0: Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, I have a special episode for you because we are all facing quite a few challenges right now. But one of my dear friends and mentors, Colleen Hoffman, is going to be sharing with us some lessons that she learned through a recent trial, very difficult trial in her family's life. I'm going to share more about that that with you in a moment. But first, I want to remind you that if you are looking for a job for next year, or if your school is looking for candidates for an open position, head to teachfortheheart.com slash jobs to post the job on our job boards or view current openings. Okay, today, as I said, we're gonna hear from one of my friends and mentors, Colleen Hoffman. And this is a little bit of a different message because this recording was recorded during a ladies' meeting at my former church. Uh, the meeting is called Titus Two, And she is sharing from her heart in a more intimate setting with a group of ladies about a very difficult trial that her family went through in which her granddaughter was diagnosed with cancer and died about, um, a little, a little under two years later. So I want you to be aware of the story. If that is something that is sensitive to you, uh, you might want to skip this episode, but I really encourage you guys to listen to it because the lessons that she learned through it are just incredibly helpful. I loved hearing from her originally when she first recorded this episode back in October, Um, but I listened to it again in light of this current crisis and found the lessons once again so applicable and such a great reminder. It was honestly exactly what I needed to hear. So I reached out to her and asked, do you mind if I share this in a more, you know, in a larger setting on my podcast? And she graciously agreed. So I hope that you will enjoy um, this this episode. It is, it is a little tear-jerking, but it is absolutely just, just so powerful. And if you notice pauses in there, uh, that's just because the speaker needed a few minutes to gather her thoughts. I've left them in there to keep it an authentic experience.
1: All right, here we go. So for tonight's lesson, I have um, titled it, I have set the land before thee. And I think most of you are aware of our journey with Colette. Colette, my granddaughter, is my daughter Katie's daughter. And we were given her, she was given to us on August, in August of 2017. And I wanted to open with a couple of my journal entries, and I'll be referring to my journal entries a lot tonight. But the first one is the day that I found out that Katie was, ex- um, was expecting her second baby, which would be Colette. It says, December 17, 2016. Prayed Colossians 1, 9, and 10 for baby Piazza, due August 2017. I'm going to take a moment and just read those verses. They are the verses I read when I find out that a grandbaby is being knitted in the womb. And I pray it over them, and I continue to pray as they grow. So Colossians 1, 9, and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then I have my second entry for tonight and this was the day she was born. She is here. Colette Diana Piazza. Our world became all the more beautiful August fifteenth, twelve fourteen AM. She's a peanut weighing six pound ten ounces, eighteen inches long. Our hearts melt with each cuddle, finding it yet another reason we're more in love with her. Prayed Colossians one ten over her. Walk worthy, Colette, unto all pleasing. Bring glory with your life, a vessel unto honor, 2 Timothy 2.21. Ten weeks later, on August twenty seventh, 2017, she was diagnosed with what would be her first cancerous brain tumor. Among many of God's promises in his word, one of the promises is of tribulation, John 16.33. And we know from his word several things about tribulation. We know that tribulation works Patience, experience, and hope—that's in Romans five, three, and four. We know that we're not um, isolated in experience tribulation; that um, that we are not alone. Everyone, at one point, will experience tribulation or tribulations in the lifetime, and that's First Peter four, twelve. That His grace is sufficient to get us through; that He'll strengthen us. That's Second Corinthians twelve, nine. We also know from Scripture that nothing is brought into our lives without our Heavenly Father's permission. It is by his hand that he presses and his alone, and always for our good and for his glory. We see this in Job when Satan has to go before God first to get permission before he tries Job. The enemy is not able to bring affliction into our lives unless God allows it. And for the sake of time, I'm going to remove the prospect that the tribulation is being brought into our lives because of consequences from unconfessed sin. An example of that would be if I were to drink alcohol excessively and I show up to work intoxicated, I lose my job. Because I'm unemployed, I'm delinquent on my bills, and my house is in foreclosure. These kind of trials are consequences due to unconfessed sin. They need um, self-examination. They need repentance. But for tonight's lesson, I'm going to address the tribulation or trial that has a sole purpose of purifying the believer and showcasing our great God. Uh, Maybe some of you will remember a guest preacher that came to our church in 2018, and he preached from the uh, verse Psalm 512, and he talked about the shield of protection around God's children, it says, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass them as a shield. He then went on to say, If by God's hand he lifts that shield of protection, we are to pick up the shield of faith that's found in um, Ephesians 6 12, uh, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. If the shield of faith is lifted, we are to go into battle and into the trial using the shield of faith. So what does the shield of faith look like, and how do we use it? So I'm going to start with just the phrase, the fiery darts of the wicked. The wicked one, enemy, Satan. He is the accuser, he's the deceiver, he's the one that makes us doubt. Um, If you think of Eve in the Garden of Eden, God goes before her and he says, Eve, you may eat of any tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge you are not to eat of, lest ye die. And Satan comes right behind him and he says, Eve, you surely will not die, but instead you're going to be enlightened. So the deceiver, the fiery darts are the lies the enemy tells us, the fiery darts of doubt that makes us doubt God's word. God provides us with a shield to combat the darts. The arrows are tipped and laced with lies and doubts that do so much damage. But a shield is only helpful if you know how to use it. It's not going to do any good laying on the floor It's not going to do any good stored in the room next to you. It has to be brought up into position, and it has to go between you and the oncoming attack. This shield of faith is made out of faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's Word, His promises, uh, His truth. So let me help you learn how to use your own personal shield of faith. Ephesians 3 and Colossians 4 talks about the concept of putting off and putting on. We are to put off the old man and be renewed by putting on the new man, replacing living in the flesh with living in the spirit. So whatever the enemy has placed on the tip of the arrow for the attack, whether it's anger, fear, discouragement, resentment, gossip, envy, we are to put off. Second uh, Corinthians 10.5 calls it casting down. First Peter 2.1 calls it laying aside. Ephesians 4.25 calls it putting away. And in case we are not getting the gist of it, um, Romans 8, what is it, 8.13, and this is one of my favorite. It says, Through the Spirit we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Those are the putting off. And so what do we put on? Philippians 4, 8, and 9, we're given a list of whatsoevers. This list is comprised of things that we are supposed to think on, dwell on, meditate on, in order to have the peace of God. I'm just going to read that um, portion of Scripture so that is Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. These things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So those are the put-ons, um, the fruits of the Spirit. Would also be put-ons: um, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All right. So the put-ons, and then um, so we have the whatsoevers, and then we have the fruit of the spirit, and then we take it and we put them on. Say we're talking about um, the fear. So the the fiery dart is fear. So what does Scripture tell us about fear? And we go to God's word and it says, Psalm 56.3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. We combat fear with trust. We cast down, put aside, lay aside, mortify. And then we pick up the shield of faith and we put our trust in God. So more examples of that. Just to, So we put off envy, we put on contentment. We cast down lying, we put on honesty. We put off anger, we put on peace. Attaching the word of God to the put on. And through the power of the Holy, um, Holy Spirit in faith, we obey. It's been almost two years since our journey with Colette began, and the number of times I've had to use those put off and put ons has been countless. And that um, uncalculated number ha- increases. It cr- increases daily and sometimes moment by moment. They have become so familiar with me that I find myself sometimes physically shaking my head as if to rattle a thought from my mind. Tonight, my prayer is to encourage and to challenge and to prepare those who are in or about to go into spiritual battle. Uh, Who we believe in, who we believe God to be in our mind has to be transformed into who the God we believe because of Scripture. Along life's way, I would on occasion say to my children, not everyone deserves a front row seat to your lives. Meaning sometimes in life, there are things that are just too special too personal or too intimate to be shared with just anybody. Moments that are kept like Jesus' mother, Mary, when it's Scripture says Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Tonight, I will be giving you all a front row seat to some very personal moments and memories with Colette and my family. I count it a privilege to have walked this path. I am Coletta Oma. I wouldn't trade my time with her for anything in this world. And I pray what is said tonight ultimately glorifies God and showcases his faithfulness to his children. So, the first point of my journey how are we going to do this? This was a question I distinctly remember asking Kevin in the beginning of our journey with Colette within the walls of the PICU Pediatric Intensive Care Unit. Within just a few days of admittance into Rainbow's Hospital, <clears throat> we were told that Colette had a mass on her brain, which later was confirmed to be a tumor, that a drain needed to be placed in order to relieve the pressure causing pain, and in a few days she would be, it would follow up with brain surgery. The tumor was determined cancerous, and, 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 um, and we were, were told that six rounds equaling about six months of chemotherapy would be the course of treatment. The majority of that would be inpatient. It had only been a few days, and our family was not only in panic mode, it was in fight mode, and hence the concept Team Colette was born. We rallied, but it was chaotic. At first, TJ, who had turned two that very weekend was lovingly shuffled between family members and the closest of friends. Colette was never for a moment left alone, except when we were forbidden behind surgical doors. Meals, work, sleeping arrangements, laundry, learning how to set up house inside hospital walls, being introduced to medical terms and treatments, it all seemed overwhelming. And it seemed we had barely made it through the long weekend, and now we were expect- to expect six months of this. How are we going to do this? Fear, worry, and anxiety. Those were the fiery darts that were being sent our way. And the shield of faith meets, meets that attack through scripture. It's God's sovereignty that would help me cast down, put aside, lay, lay aside, and mortify those thoughts that wanted to destroy. In my own personal Bible reading, I um, just started reading the book Deuteronomy, and in chapter 1... Some of the verses for me um, became some of those verses became for me the battle cry throughout the uh, throughout the storm. And it's actually where I pulled the title of this message, I have set the land before thee. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to take a moment and read first um, Deuteronomy 1, 21 through 31. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, fear not. Neither be discouraged. And ye came near unto every one of you, and said, We send men before us, and they shall search out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe. And they turned and went up into the mountain, and they came unto the valley at Vishcol, and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land into their hands, and brought it down unto us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land, which the Lord our God doth give us. Notwithstanding, we would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And ye murmured in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you, according to all that he did for you in the land of Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness... Where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son, in all thy way that he went until he came into this place. In those verses the promised land is being surveyed, and the sovereignty of God leapt from those pages. The land that is set before us, it is determined by God, and he doesn't ask permission from his children. Jesus says in Matthew twenty, fifteen. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with what is mine? But quickly, uh, and I'm going back to um, De- uh, Deuteronomy 1, 21, right after it says, I've set the land before thee, it quickly says, but fear not, neither be discouraged of this path before you. Why? Because in verse 25 it says, because it is a good land which the Lord God doth give us. Romans eight twenty-eight. it's so familiar to all of us. It says, all things work together for good. And I'll address that further in a moment. And then and this became part um, a few of my favorite verses within that passage, in verse 30 and 31, where we are reminded in life that the Lord goes out before us, that He will fight for us, and when we are weary of the battle, it says, "The Lord thy God shall bear thee as a man doth bear his son." Picture that. Picture God carrying you like an earthly father will carry his tired and weary child. The truth of God's sovereignty and goodness conquered that fiery dart of fear. Second point of our journey, you only hope as well as you know your father. A quote from Anne Baskamp. So I'm going to say that again. You only hope as well as you know your father. Maybe a storm is in your forecast. Perhaps the clouds are starting to loom and maybe you've already started to feel a few drops of the rain. Are you well acquainted with your Heavenly Father? Do you have a deep well in which to draw from? Are you equipped for the storm? We have all watched the news and have seen the stubborn few that refuse to prepare for themselves and their homes for an oncoming hurricane. No sandbags in place, no plywood over the windows for protection, no evacuation if called, and until they find themselves on their rooftops of their homes waiting for an outside source of rescue, um, they, they simply did not prepare. Most of us are familiar with the gospel's account of the wise man who builds his house upon the rock compared to the foolish who, who builds his house on the sand. And we understand the importance of that parable that we are to build our house on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost. But did you ever notice that those builders both had their houses built before the storm. They both had done the work necessary in order to have shelter from the storm. They did not start the building process in the midst of the storm. There is work to be done, and we alone are responsible for the discipline and the effort to do so. The question in our lives continued, and I wondered, do we have what it takes to do this? The answer to that question I now find so beautiful, so loving, and so reassuring from my heavenly father and his faithfulness. Because it is his hand and his alone that sets the lamb before you, he also is going to equip you to walk that lamb before you. Um, and sometimes without you even knowing it, Philippians 1 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will complete it or will perform it, which means complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God had graciously begun that work in our lives years before there was even a storm in sight. And so just to name a few uh, ways he was preparing us, Katie, after high school, she felt led and went ahead and pursued and got her degree in nursing. Kate was a perfect caretaker and advocate for Colette. She was the beautiful combination of both mother and nurse, and Colette would get no better care. Individually, without the other knowing it, we both became more serious and devoted to our spiritual growth. Each were adding Bible verses to memorization. Katie started memorizing hymns. I started memorizing passages where to find the armor of God, the fruit of the Spirit, um, passages on the put on and put off, um, uh, the beam in the eye, uh, forgiveness, and I also started to... Uh, um, make a list of God's attributes, and memorizing their meanings and their definition. But both of us began the process of becoming certified biblical counselors. We were told early in those classes that you are always counseling someone, whether you know it or not. You are either counseling friends, you're counseling family, and more often than not, you are counseling yourself. And, and counsel ourselves we did, and we still do daily. The house was being built on the rock, we would have a structure to run into once the storm hit. Like the hurricane victims that await rescue on the rooftop, so is a child of God that doesn't invest in knowing him, knowing how to use their shield of faith. You find yourself dependent on someone else for the rescue when you could have equipped yourself to um, fight the, di- the, the fiery darts of the wicked. On May 31st of this year, Colette was taken from the arms of Kate and placed in the arms of her creator. Later that morning, we were comforted by a visit from Pastor Pete and Pastor Folger, and they sat across from us in our living room. We were comforted by them, but we weren't reliant on them. We weren't dependent on them to feed us. We, through God's preparation and a little effort and discipline, we were able to feed ourselves, not only that morning, but through the journey where is God leading you in your spiritual growth? It's called progressive sanctification. And if you think of it, um, two points, the point of salvation, the point where you enter eternity, and there is your life. And you are supposed to be progressively being sanctified, becoming more Christ-like, growing spiritually. Be obedient, be disciplined, and grow. Grow to the point of flourishing. The third point in the journey, a bruised reed shall he not break. Isaiah 42.3. I love that. A bruised, tender, wilted reed shall he not break. Discouragement. Another very popular dart of the wicked one. There are times in the battle that you are going to feel beat up and weary. I remember telling Kate during the rigorous demands of Colette's um, chemotherapy, especially in the latter part where it required so much from all involved, but no one more than Colette. But I told Kate that I felt like a rag. I felt old, gray, dirty, wrinkled, and torn. There are days when you feel like you take one blow to the right cheek only to be met with a blow to the left. You've run to that shelter that we just talked about only to find that there is a leak in the roof. It's discouragement. The old adage, the straw that broke the camel's back, is the feelings that twirl around one in a storm like a whirlwind. They are the mini storms within the raging storm. And I remember one such whirlwind. Um, it was in one of the treatments of chemotherapy for Colette. We're on the oncology floor, uh, we're inpatient. Um, and typically how it worked, Katie and I tag teamed it. She was either at home with TJ or at with Colette and then we would swap out. But we had learned early that it took two people. It took two people to be there with Colette. And um, it was just too demanding. It was too hard, um, especially when she needed and had demands, and then you had the, the the runner. But for some reason, I don't remember why, there was that night, uh, a night that I was there, and it had bled into the morning. And on that particular night, Things were extremely difficult. She was having a bad night. And um, in the morning, I heard drip, drip, drip. And just like I was talking about that leak in the house that these people ran in for safety, there was a drip in the ceiling of the hospital room. And because Colette was uh, susceptible to disease, because her numbers were low and infection, we were told that we needed to get her out of the room at ASAP. But you have to know that when we're there, we're there for weeks at a time, so that that room becomes almost like a dorm room. So not only am I getting Colette out, but I'm supposed to be packing up this room. That was a straw. Um, I felt like I was going to break. There are two phrases we learned quickly in biblical counseling. One was, think biblically, respond biblically. The other, let your faith inform your feelings. There are times in the storm that you are going to feel as if you're going to break. It may feel as if God, instead of being good, is being unkind. You may feel alone, hopeless, defeated, helpless, discouraged, and the list can go on and on. But these are feelings, and these feelings, once again, are the fiery darts that are coming our way. And we have to put up the shield of faith that go and use scripture that reminds us of his truth. So again, one of those whatsoever is whatsoever thing is true. <coughs> So, let's counter the feeling with the truth. Um, in God's words, so feeling alone, Psalm 46.1 says, God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. Feeling hopeless, Romans 15.13, Now the God of all hope, fill you with all joy, peace, and li- believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Feeling defeated, Isaiah 40.29, He giveth power to the faint, and to them there hath no might. He increases strength. God's word is sufficient. It provides us with what we need to navigate our way and have victory through the battle. So yes, you may feel bruised, and you're going to feel sometimes bruised from head to toe. <clears throat> but God promises that you will not break. It is the enemy who makes you feel like you will break, and he wants to devour. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. The way of escape many times is using your shield of faith. I need to explain a little bit about this entry. This entry is from April 18, 2018, and it comes after Colette's fifth round of chemotherapy. There was supposed to be a total of six. She didn't make it to the sixth. Um, the chemo was too hard on her body, and her health was deci- declining and sometimes even spiraling to the point of death. So she was taken from the oncology floor, and then this is what I write. Colette has been in the PICU for a week, still no answers. And then I write a quote from the book The Bruised Reed* by Richard Sims. If Christ be so merciful as to not break me, I will not break myself by despair, nor yield myself over to the roaring lion so that he may break me into pieces. It is not God who breaks. Matter of fact, he he promises to bind. It is Satan. It is the enemy. He's the one that wants to devour. The fourth point in our journey, whose definition of good are we trusting in? I'm going to be honestly blunt right here because I'm going to talk about my definition of good first. My definition of good would include Colette still being here with us and perhaps it would have included a play day visit. To Oma's house today. There would be no scars on her chest and her head at the nape of her neck, because there never would have been a tumor. We would have just celebrated her second birthday, and she would have rolled, twirled around the room and squealed, squealed with delight out of pure joy. My definition of good would not include a Titus II lesson devoted to lessons learned through the most horrid storm imaginable. The topic would have to be on another focus since I wouldn't have any life experience in which to draw the truth, making them so near and dear to my heart. And right there is the purpose of trials. I would have no experience, life experience to draw from. Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Did you hear that? It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Inflicted suffering, with pain. Why? So that I might learn God's statutes, his law, his promises, that I might learn of God himself and grow spiritually. Eight, Romans eight twenty eight and 29 should always be quoted together. Verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And we may think and we may wonder how Can all things possibly work together for good when you hurt so deeply? The answer is found in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And there it is. Whatever the land is that is set before us holds, it is for our good to conform us, to transform us into the image God and make us more Christ-like. What does Job say? when he has been stripped of everything that he believes good to be good. He says in Job 42.5, I have heard of thee with the hearing of my ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And then he learns God's statutes, and he says in Job 23.10, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The process of being purified through fire. If I am trusting in my definition of good, I am making myself a god. I am saying in my mind that in my infinite mind that I would know better than my my infinite God. Did I say that right? That in my finite mind that I would know better than my infinite God. It takes faith to trust God's definition of good, especially when it hurts. And sometimes God's will hurts. <clears throat> but we know that our faith also pleases God. Hebrews 11:6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Raymond Panton, in a message Kevin and I listened to one of the evenings while Colette was in her final days, he said in his message, living by faith is a conscious decision to think and respond biblically even when there is no earthly reason to do so. I'm going to say that again. Living by faith is a conscious decision to think and respond biblically even when there is nothing on this earth to make you think so. I also wanted to share a quote from A.W. Pink. Contentment. Contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. It is a soul's enjoyment of the peace that passes all understanding. Contentment is the outcome of my will being brought into subjection to the divine will. It is the blessed assurance that God does all things well, and is even now making all things work together for my ultimate good. Contentment is only possible as we maintain the attitude of accepting everything that enters our lives as it's coming from the hand of him who is too wise to err, and too loving to cause one of his children a needless tear. He, His will is always, without fail, for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. Philippians 1.12 says, But I would, or I would want you to know, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out, or turned out, rather, unto the furtherance of the gospel. His definition includes two things, that I would be transformed into his son's image and to furtherance the furtherance of the gospel. Our journey with Colette has opened up opportunities It has given such boldness to talk about our great God, and it allows us to share what scripture calls the hope that is within us. It has allowed us to be a part of furthering the gospel. Point number five in the journey Lord, teach us to pray. That is the request one of Jesus' disciples asks of him. And tonight I'd like to be a little bit more specific and say, How do you pray when you are going through a storm? How do you talk to God and ask Him for the desire of your heart, knowing full well it might not be in alignment with His will and His desire? It's through Scripture that we turn for the answers to the complex questions, again, to that pertain to life. In my mind's eye, I can still see Pastor Glenn Dunn sitting across from us in Colette's You room in the initial days of her diagnosis. And he directed us to um, Mark 1.40. And it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And above that I wrote Colette, October 28, 2017, If thou wilt. And from that day forward, those three words became my prayer. And then I would add my request to God. If thou wilt, you and you alone. And the countless requests were tagged to those three little words. But the supreme request, the one that hovered and rose above all others, was, um, If thou wilt, thou can cure Colette. Our prayer was taking our request and placing it into the hands of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, and bottom line, and this, this sounds very black and white, but bottom line, Colette being cured was simplified to the fact it was either God's will or it wasn't. So you might ask then, so then why pray? What's the point? Why ask? Matthew 7, 7a, Jesus says, ask and it shall be given you. In Luke eighteen forty one, Jesus asked the blind Bartimaeus, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And Bartimaeus replies and asks for his sight. Ask. That's what Jesus tells us to do, and ask I did. And this became my prayer. Can we keep her? Our request, heavier than any I'd ever known. I had wondered how many times I had prayed that prayer, those four words. I had cried through that prayer. I had fasted through that prayer. I had kneeled, walked, laid prostrate on the floor praying that prayer. I had prayed that prayer holding Colette. I had prayed that prayer sitting by her crib side. I had prayed that prayer hovering over her with my hand over her and on her forehead as she slept. Like the woman that reaches... For the hem of Jesus' garment that had the issue of blood, I knew it wasn't my words, but it was him and him alone that had the power and ability to allow us to keep her. But after the asking, and after the pleading, and yes, after the begging, there has to be the surrender. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we have the example of Jesus right before his betrayal and crucifixion. And he too asks us of his father, the gospel uses words to describe how Jesus felt like sorrowful and very heavy. In Matthew 26:28, he tells his disciples that his soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And in Luke 22:44, it says that Jesus, being in agony, prayed more earnestly. He asks 3 times of God his Father, "Take this cup from me. Can this cup pass from me? That I wouldn't have to drink from it." And in Mark fourteen thirty six, Jesus says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. The cup referring to his crucifixion. Can you hear it? Just like I just said, the asking, the pleading, and yes, the begging. He's saying, Abba, he's saying, Daddy, Father, please. But then the surrender. And then he says, nevertheless, not what I will but without wilt, the surrendering, the heaviness that one feels, and then handing it over to the father. This goes back to when I talked about Colette being in the PICU, and now we're in May. Her stay ended up being over 10 weeks in the hospital. But in May, we we had in our minds, if we had calculated from the beginning when she was diagnosed, Six months of chemo brought us to May. And so in our minds, we we, we felt like it had sunshine around the month. Um, But I write, in our minds, we had it set that May held the key to normal, only to find that the month opened up a dozen more doors of uncertainty. No sixth round of chemo, no radiation. Over three weeks, and Colette is still in the PICU. I laid her in the arms of Jesus. Then I write, To consent to something means to give permission or agreement. Our God is sovereign. He needs no permission to do what he wants with what is his. So when we consent to his will, we are not giving him permission, but instead we are joining him and accepting his will. If thou wilt. Jesus' suffering shows God's ultimate care for human hurt. It is by Christ's wounds that we are healed. That is the good that came from Jesus' hurt. God never wastes pain. He has a purpose in all he allows, which leads me to the last point tonight, and that is hope. Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen says, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. By now, I'd be a crumbled mess and of no earthly good unless I believed that there was to be goodness that came from Colette's story. On that morning in May of this year, I received a text from Kate around two in the morning. We had decided earlier that the news would come in the form of text because we knew words would be too hard at that moment. So I had learned that Colette was now Colette the Victorious. And I write a quote from the book called The Midwife. We speak of the dawn of a new day as if it is a holy welcome thing. But there are times when dawn breaks into darkness Forcing us to face things we never knew we'd see. And then, the um, the evening after her funeral, which is exactly four months ago today, I wrote June 4, 2019. Today. Today was a day we prayed would never come. and yet he has answered my question my prayer that started back in October 2017 if thou wilt how many times in prayer have we asked the question if thou wilt thou can cure Colette how many times have we reached for the hem of his garment when he asked the question what would ye that I should do for you we would plead please please heal our Colette And in obedience, we would add, but not my will, but thine be done, thine, because we know you are all wise, and we trust that you are all good. To not surrender and submit would indicate that we knew better. Our hurt is so great at times, the heaviness suffocating. It's hard to imagine a future without pain. But he tells us in his word that there is a time to mourn, and so we will allow ourselves to weep and grieve and lament. But he also tells us that there is a time to dance. Will we dance again? Time will tell. Oh, how I want to write. How I want to write someday that we are, that dancing has returned once again. My team Colette band was laid to rest with Colette. My beautiful, sweet Colette. Katie Davis, author of the book Daring to Hope, writes It is bold to watch the life around you crumble and somehow still believe that ye would extend that he would extend a blessing. Let me read that again. It is bold to watch the life around you crumble and somehow still believe that he would extend blessing. We are doing what the title of her book suggests. We are daring to hope in the days ahead. Lamentations three thirty one thirty three, 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he causes grief... Yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly or delight in, nor grieve the children of men. Hebrews 10.36 For we have need of patience or endurance, that after we have done the will of God, we might receive the promise. In closing, I want to refer to a passage found in Matthew 14. The feeding of the 5,000 had just taken place. The disciples are in a, a boat headed across the sea, and Jesus is on the mountaintop praying. And the disciples are frightened when they see what they think is a spirit walking towards them. But then they realize that it's Jesus coming towards them. And Peter asks for the invitation to join Jesus out on the water, and Jesus says, come. While walking out to them, the winds pick up, Peter becomes afraid, takes his eyes off of Christ, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out to catch him, and in slight rebuke, Christ says to Peter, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I looked up that word, therefore. And the definition is, for what reason? Asking the question, for what reason have you doubted? That last statement became so personal and so convicting to me in my moments of grief and doubt. It was Jesus addressing Peter, but the same question could have been asked for me when I believe hope to be removed and I start to sink in my doubt. I think of a gentle rebuke of Jesus saying, Oh Colleen, why do you lack faith? When have I ever given you a reason to doubt me? It's then that hope returns, because the answer is and always will be, never. Never in my past has he given me a reason to doubt, and therefore I can trust him with my future. The last quote I have is from author L.M. Montgomery, the author of Anna Green Gables, and this is from her book, Anne of the Island. It says, Some beautiful morning she will just awake and find it is tomorrow. Not today, but tomorrow. And then things will happen. Wonderful things. That's hope. Hope is the next chapter in our lives. Hope of dancing once more. Hope that sorrow will turn to joy. Hope that beauty comes from ashes. And the hope that we will see the good in the all things work together for good. We don't see it now, but we trust and we believe and we watch and we wait. Um tonight, I have hope for you guys as well. Uh, the point of the lesson was to encourage you with the land that is set before you. I hope that you will trust God and believe that it is always good. Um, I hope that you will learn to use the shield of faith that we talked about to conquer those fiery darts of the wicked.
0: I hope you guys found these words as encouraging and helpful as I did. Um, before we go, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you that you have set the land before us. You know exactly the path that you have designed for us. And it is your path, Father, and you don't make mistakes. And as difficult as uh, different challenges may be, uh, we can rest in you. Thank you so much for these lessons that Colleen has brought us. We know they are born of experience and come with so much authority. And I pray that we will take them and apply them to our hearts. Comfort each teacher, help us to depend depend on you and you alone, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys again for being here. Before we go, I wanted to invite you to join us in Teach Uplifted. Uh, if you found these truths helpful and you want to spend more time digging into the truths of God's Word, learning to trust Him, and just meditating on what that means, allowing truths to sink down deep into your soul, I'd invite you to join up in Teach Uplifted. It is a six-week program where we do just that. Uh, we dive into the Bible. We dive into Scripture. We, we, we learn what does it mean to trust God, to depend on Him to find joy in him in the midst of trials. And then we also apply that to teaching and to various um, struggles that we commonly face. So I hope that you'll join us. You can get all the details at teachuplifted.com. Well, thank you guys again so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep trusting. You really are
1: making a difference.